Hey, if you're new this morning, uh, maybe just visiting us, we're going to open our Bibles here in just a minute. We use the ESV version, so if you've got uh, a tablet or your phone, you like to use that, that's fine. But we also think it's important to open uh, our Bibles and turn pages. So in the back of the room, Tom's got some Bibles. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. He'll get one to you. And uh, if you don't have one, we'd like you to keep it, and that be our gift to you. So just stick your hand up. He will uh, get a Bible into your hands this morning. We are continuing in a series on the book of Acts this morning. And um, just for a quick reminder, the book of Acts is written by Luke, one of the apostles, and it's his account of the early church after Jesus has ascended and how the gospel begins to take hold and spread to the remotest parts of the earth. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter one, verse eight, it was Jesus that told his followers, all that were gathered, he said, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the remotest parts of the earth. Actually, today's account will see the gospel spread to the remotest parts of the earth. And so as we dig into this this morning, one of the big pieces I want you to come away with is this, that God's gospel is to be carried by God's people to fulfill God's mission for God's glory. Let me say it again, it's kind of a mouthful, but uh, God's gospel is to be carried by God's people to fulfill God's mission for God's glory. And the book of Acts is filled with this taking place. This morning, we're going to see uh, something that begins in chapter eight, which was a transition, if you will, because persecution breaks out in the early church and uh, the Moving of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria happens not because people were willingly saying, okay, good, I'll go to all over and share the good news that saved me. It only happens because God brings persecution to the church. And so they're scattered. And the interesting thing about chapter eight is um, the apostles stay behind in Jerusalem. So all the witnessing, all the evangelism, all the church planting happens by all the people that have gotten saved in the first seven chapters of Acts. Every day, normal people like you and I. And that's kind of a surprise when you think about it that, uh, you know, God, wouldn't you have strategically placed the original apostles in some different areas and have your gospel spread that way? No, the choice was to put in people's hearts to live as disciples and carry this gospel message that saved them around the world. That's God's plan today still. And sometimes that happens in kind of amazing ways as we'll see this morning. This account actually took me back to an experience I had in the year 2000. Our denomination um, found an open door in Russia in the late uh, 1990s. And in 2000, there was this little window of opportunity to begin a Bible college 
in this town in Russia, and for reasons um, you can might imagine, I'm not going to share the town. Um, and so um, multitudes, multitudes, many pastors were invited to come for three, four weeks and teach. And there are people literally that were in my class that had traveled, um, you know, 12, 14 hours by train to come and get uh, equipped to do ministry. Some of them were less than two-year-olds as Christians, and they're already pastoring two and three churches. God was doing something amazing. So anyway, um, I said yes, and I got this wonderful assignment called Preaching the Minor Prophets. You know, I think I was set up on that one. Somebody didn't like me. But anyway, um, as, as I was teaching after the first week, got to know the students, um, all of them had ministries in this town that they'd moved to. And one of the students was in my class said, hey, will you go with me uh, tomorrow night to a ministry I'm a part of? I said, sure. And um, he spoke very broken English, but he spoke better English than I did Russian. So um, I met him outside of the building I was staying in. And I'm not, I'm not uh, exaggerating this story. So let me just say it up front. It's winter, that's the other thing. When you say yes to God, he doesn't always like send you to the Caribbean or something. I got to go to Russia in the winter. Um, <laughs> put on my coat and, and we walked to the end of the property where there's a chain link fence that had been cut that we pulled apart and kind of snuck through and we're, you know, walked through mud and snow by this building that uh, was old dark, and I said, what's that? And he said, oh, that's the hospital for our town. And it didn't even look inhabited. And we walked through some back alleys with no street lights, and we got on a bus. We traveled probably 15 minutes by bus. I had no clue where I was going. We get off the bus, through some more back alleys. This time we come to a board fence with two or three boards pulled off. And I'm thinking at this point, nobody knows where I am. <laughs> What am I doing? You know, I'm just okay. I'm trusting you, Lord. Walk through this old busted up fence and uh, through some more dark streets and we come to the back of this building with a door. Open this door and there's a flight of steps and you know how we have pretty well lit uh, room here. They would have one light bulb for maybe every six that should have been working. And so I'm just following this guy up this back steps, down this hallway, and it was a damp, cold building. And we finally come to this room, and there's about 25 elderly ladies in this room who had gathered for a study that night. This was a senior citizen home, cold, dark. And I'm thinking, okay, this will be interesting. I, I spoke that night, shared about Christ and the gospel, and I'll never forget this elderly lady who was held um, as a refugee of World War II that had just kind of been brought to this town and dropped off. Her name was Fa'ina. Tears running down her face uh, came to faith in Christ. Now my point is this, that makes no sense at all. Here's a guy in Ashland, Ohio, go to Russia, in the middle of who knows where in this town, 
And God had already spoke to this lady's heart. And I had the opportunity to just simply step in what, what God was doing. You know, God still does that today. He wants to use his people to carry his message. So he brings about souls to faith in him for his glory. If you're not there yet, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to see this account this morning get lived out. I shared a moment ago that up to this point, the gospel had went from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. Now it's going to the remotest parts of the earth. It's going to go to the south part of Egypt and into the continent of Africa in chapter 8, starting in verse 26. And you have this individual named Philip, which we learned about last week. And again, this is... uh, Uh, someone who's not an apostle, a deacon who had come to faith in Christ and now one of those who begins to go in obedience and, and speak the gospel. And God begins to use him in this really unique and unlikely situation. If you're not there, 826, here we go. Here's the account this morning. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So before this, Philip is in Samaria, where I'm sure he didn't want to go to begin with. That wasn't friendly territory. There was animosity between the Jewish people and those who were in Samaria. But we we found out last week in verse 25 There are many people coming to faith in Christ in Samaria. And now an angel of the Lord speaks to Philip and says, "Um, we're going to leave here and we're going to go south to Gaza. Like a 50, 60 mile journey. But what's unique about this account is it says, um, I'm going to have you take the road that's a desert place. There's two ways to get to Gaza from where Philip was. One called the King's Highway along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, which sounds kind of appealing. The other is to go through the desert, where it's not so pleasant. So, so think about it. Hey, Philip, you've got to believe an angel just spoke to you. Never had that happen. You know, just let you know that right up front. Angel speaks, I want you to go south out of the place where you currently are, which, by the way, there are a lot of fruit for ministry here. And I want you to go through the desert, the hot, dry, not so fun place to travel through. So that's what Philip had to contend with so far. But here's what he did. Verse 27, he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. So now the picture unfolds a bit. Uh, Philip traveling through the desert on this desert road. Most commentaries would say this was even the middle of the day when it was very hot, very dry, And uh, the assignment starts to take form. Here's a very important person. We'll keep it PG this morning. A eunuch is someone who was um, 
um, helped out my man so they couldn't have kids. That's a pretty easy way to uh, say that. <laughs> but that word is also used many times for people who were high-ranking officials who carried a position of power, which was the case here. Could be both of those, but uh, I, I don't know. But we know he was an important person. And it also said that he was so important that he took uh, care of all the treasures. So he's a highly trusted person. And so think of Philip, if you're him. All right, I'll leave Samaria. I'll go through the desert. And why am I going through the desert? Well, we're about to find out. He was, uh, verse 28, and the spirit said to Philip, notice again, first time he has ears to hear what this angel of the Lord said. Now he has ears to hear what the spirit says. Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So here we are in the desert. Philip sees the Ethiopian in his chariot. There's probably some kind of caravan. This guy certainly would not travel alone. And now uh, the spirit speaks to Philip and he starts running in the desert to catch up and run alongside a chariot. You know, there's a lot of faith that Philip had to have so far, right? I mean, you had to really have a lot of faith to do what Philip's doing. And so he encounters this Ethiopian eunuch who had just been to Jerusalem to worship. And he had probably purchased the scroll of Isaiah, and he's reading it out loud, which was customary during the time, and Philip hears him reading it. Do you understand what you're reading? Was the simple question Philip asked to engage him. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited him to sit in the chariot. So that's better than running, I'm thinking, right? <laughs> Deal, get in the chariot. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. And his humiliation, justice, was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And eunuch asked, or the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? There's a guy that was curious. Help me understand what I'm reading. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road that came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, at first glance, that statement alone um, maybe doesn't hit us the way it should. This eunuch, for some reason, had went to Jerusalem. God had been drawing him to himself. And there was an interest about God. And he gets to Jerusalem, and when he would have entered the temple, he would have been kept out of most of the worship because first, he was a Gentile. Second, he was a black man. 
Third, he was maybe someone who was considering being a proselytite or someone moving to Judaism. And so he's not just saying, hey, can we get baptized? I think there was a piece of this, him saying, am I allowed to be baptized after what I believed? Let's pick up in 39. And they came up out of the water. The spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And listen to the eunuch's account. He went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So he leaves Samaria, he goes to Gaza, he goes back north now, and he's going to end up in Caesarea right along the coast, probably about the same geographical area that he began in, only on the coast. What in the world is going on here? God's gospel is to be carried by God's people to fulfill God's mission for God's glory. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. Here's happening. This would have been new territory. Next week, we'll look at the Apostle Paul, and the gospel begins to spread north by his mission efforts. But here, the gospels already went to the south. And so there's some important lessons that I want us to pull out of these this morning. And I want us to think through what does this say to us as followers of Christ in 2020 in Ashland, Ohio. Was this just some unique account that God moved and made happen? And I'm going to say this morning, not at all. Not at all. I think there's some real conviction as I read this and studied this week that we need to consider. The first thing, as we look at what took place this morning, we need to notice is God's gospel reveals the Missio Dei, or the mission of God to reconcile, redeem, and restore people to himself. God's gospel reveals God's mission. And you'll say, well, duh, sure, Jeff. Don't be too quick in answering that. You know, God's an intentional God. We see that from all of Scripture. And I want you to think with me for just a moment, all the way back to the first book of Scripture, Genesis. What God did originally was he originally intentionally created, didn't he? Our world, the things we experience, didn't come to be by chance. God intentionally created everything, all things. And he intentionally created us as humans, unique from all of his creation, and he created us to be in relationship with him. God intentionally created. We also find in chapter 3 of Genesis, something goes terribly wrong. Sin enters the world, and man now has a broken relationship with God. Because sin corrupts our hearts, we both by nature and by choice, don't miss it, by choice, sin against God. 
We use that word a lot at substance. We sing it a lot at substance. Sin, the gospel. Because if we don't understand the the dilemma, the issue, the situation man's in, who needs a savior? So sin breaks what God had intentionally created. And we are left hopelessly lost with no way back to God. And so God determined graciously from eternity to redeem people to himself. He's intentional again. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 1, a few verses before what we read this morning says, verses 4 through 6. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption, to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. With which he has blessed us in the beloved meaning Christ. God intentionally creates, he's a God of mission. Man sins, we're separated. God, an intentional God, puts in place a plan to redeem people back to himself. God's also determined at the end of his scriptures in Revelation that he will one day restore all things, everything. The polluted, broken creation that is broken by sin, restored. So this passage this morning, actually all of scripture, is about God and the actions he took to restore mankind back to himself. The mission of God is intentional. God the Father sends God the Son to be born, to live, to die, so that man could be reunited God the Father, God the Son, send the Holy Spirit to live and dwell within believers to empower them for Christ-like living and service. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit sends believers into the world to share the gospel. That's the process. That's God's process. And so he's spreading his gospel to the remotest parts of the earth in this passage, now we see Africa. He's spreading it not just to a region, he's spreading it to all people. A black man, he's saying all races deserve salvation because I'm a God of love, not because they can do anything to deserve it. So there's no class, no race, No socioeconomic status among us. And here's why. Listen, catch this very closely. The gospel is really the great equalizer. All people, all places, all times have the same issue. Our sin has separated us from God. And so God acts intentionally. Today the mission of God taking the message of salvation has been given to us as followers of Christ 
the same way we see Philip and others in the early church. So how are we doing with that? How, how's the Christians in this world, in our day and age, doing with that? Well, there's some good news, there's some bad news. In the year 1900, it's estimated that about 2.5% of the world population were Christians. 1970, that had grown to about 5%. 2010, it had went from 5 to 12%. And today it's estimated there's about 14% of the world population that are Christians. How, how did that happen? That's a lot of people. It, it had been taken by people who believe the message that saved them and take it to their world. And so while this is good, I just said there's some bad news. Well, there's an estimated 2 billion people in the world who live outside the reach of gospel-centered, gospel-preaching churches. There's a great need yet, right? And so the United States for years was the place where the gospel was blooming and growing and we're sending missionaries to the world, but something happened. Because today, in the last decade alone, those who call themselves Christians in the United States has dropped 12%. A little over 50% of those people in the United States that are surveyed will say they're Christians. And so let's don't get so pompous, folks, thinking we're going to reach the world with the gospel and we haven't reached our neighbors. Amen? We are a mission field here in Ashland, same way that there's a mission field around the world. Could it be that the church in the United States is more consumer-driven than mission-driven? You know, I wonder sometimes, as, as we've enjoyed great opportunity to preach freely and share the gospel here, I, I'm concerned sometimes we're more excited about donuts after service than living on mission. Ouch. I like donuts, by the way. You don't get this physique without liking them. We gotta be careful. We don't miss the mission of God given to us. Second thing from this passage I see is that God's gospel reveals our need of a savior. God's gospel reveals our need of a savior. Now, listen carefully to what I'm going to say because I don't want you to misunderstand it. Man's greatest need <clears throat> is not a church. Man's greatest need is not a church. Man's greatest need is a savior. And those who believe and follow Christ will be a part of a church. You with me? We, we get it mixed up. It's interesting when you read the story. The eunuch knew all about worship, didn't he? He had just come back from Jerusalem. He had just seen lots of people doing worship. Matter of fact, this guy's sitting in his chariot reading his Bible, what he would have had. 
He's reading scripture. He had just traveled a long distance to worship with people, but something's missing. He couldn't connect the dots. And the scripture that we read this morning says it was Jesus and the gospel that was missing. He was unable to connect the dots. So Philip, God uses Philip to travel this distance through the desert to this place because God was going to save this man, a high-ranking official who would go back to his area and now the gospel goes to Africa and Egypt. Seems like you could come up with an easier way, God, right? God's intent is for his people to take his mission. So he gets glory. And so Philip, ready and willing to share the gospel, begins by asking that simple question. Do you understand what you're reading? Which opens the door to speak about Jesus and the gospel. I want you to put yourself in that place for a minute. Maybe your workplace or at a restaurant or at a family gathering and, and religion gets talked about. How do you respond? Do you take the next step to engage? It was a pretty non-threatening question, right, by Philip. But he was intentional. And then says, beginning with scripture, verse 35, he told him the good news about Jesus. Many of you have heard it said, um, and it's true, that it's hard to know the good news unless you understand the bad news. Right? Why, why do I need a savior if I'm a good person? And why do I need a savior if I think I can work my way through good deeds to being acceptable to God? Now, Philip understood that his mission was to communicate Jesus and the gospel. It was interesting that uh, you might want to try this. When you meet somebody, and even in our town, which we have a lot of churches in this town, don't we? And you engage someone, and, and, and you start talking about things, and, and how long you lived in Ashland, how long you've been here. Uh, tell me about your faith. If you take that step, here's what you will most often hear. I grew up in such and such church. Or from Sunday school on, I went with my parents. And then if you go just a little further and say, hey, tell me about Jesus, most often you get a blank stare and a fearful response. The mission of God is to take the gospel of God to the people of God for God's glory. And so this eunuch is uh, a little puzzled. Turn to Isaiah 53, if you will. Because I want to make note of a, a couple of things because it's so important to this passage. Now, don't be tempted as we read this account so far to say, oh, he just probably opened up the scroll and started reading verse 7 and 8. That's what's quoted here. But undoubtedly, he had been reading. And so he would have started in chapter 53 of Isaiah 
And here's what the first verse says. Who's believed what he has heard from us? So the question, set in place probably for this unit. Who's believed what he's heard from us? Or, or the last part of that verse, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Hmm, interesting question. And so I have no doubt that Philip began to walk through some key pieces of Isaiah chapter 53, like verse four, when it says that he would bear our griefs, carry our sorrows, the chastisement of him brought peace. I'm sure that he jumped down to verse six. And why did the Lord lay on Jesus our iniquity or our sin? He begins to unpack the bad news that we have sinned that has separated us from God. And then verse seven, why like a, a lamb didn't he fight or say a word when Jesus is led to the cross? Why, why didn't he call down legions of angels? I'm sure Philip is helping him understand this. And then verse 10 through 12, I think, was that turning point, maybe. So that Jesus would be an offering for our guilt of sin. That God's wrath would be satisfied through his death. So that God's righteous requirement could be credited to us and we could be accounted as righteous. And then verse 12, that this Christ now intercedes for us on our behalf, proclaiming to a holy, righteous God, no, 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 you're my son, you're my daughter. Father, they're forgiven through what I did on the cross. That's the gospel, isn't it? You know, one commentator wrote this statement that this week I love. He said, when you read Isaiah, not just 53, but especially since we're talking about that this morning, that's as if Isaiah was sitting at the foot of the cross writing. It's all about a Messiah. It's all about the Savior that God sent to intentionally deal with our sin. There's probably some here today that have sat in church services your whole life and not been able to connect the dots. My hope is that God's word is beginning to do that for you. You know, the eunuch didn't need more religion, did he? He didn't need a church home. He didn't need more rules or more ways that he had to follow sacrificial laws. He needed to know his sins could be forgiven and that he could be restored to God. That's what he needed. Third, I'm going to go quicker on these. Third, God's gospel should compel his disciples to carry his mission. Say it again. God's gospel should compel his disciple to carry his mission. One of the fears I've had as I'm older in ministry now and I've had the chance to work with churches, and I think about the statistics I shared, how we're losing ground in America, is I think we've been pretty good at making church attenders, pretty lousy at making disciples. 
Somebody that's a disciple has the passions and the priorities of Christ. I'm, you're a follower of Jesus. Now, I do it very imperfectly. Don't get me wrong, okay? But as a desire to be involved in the very things of Christ, the Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion. It's not optional. You, you don't come to faith in Christ and then say, ah, that's good, I, now I can, I can just get out of hell someday. No, his desire because the mission of God is to use his people to carry his message, right? All of us. So notice Philip, not being one of the apostles. Notice uh, that the Christian faith is now being spread by those who've been saved up through the first seven chapters. And that's a lot of people. We start with 3,000, go to 5,000, and then they don't give us numbers up to this point. It just says multitudes. A great number were saved and added to the number. You have ordinary men and women. Those who are saved by the gospel now living a life devoted to the person and the message that saved them. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. I think of Philip, I think he must have had a pretty intimate relationship with God, didn't he? He heard pretty well. He trusted pretty well. He had developed this intimate relationship where he was willing to trust and go and serve even when it made no sense. Being a disciple is not an option. I held up your bulletin. And on the back, we've got a list of eight different community groups. Community groups are the place we've designated to intentionally help us know the gospel, live the gospel together, and be equipped to share the gospel. I mean, we have opportunities to, to grow and to know and then to go do. And if you're not in a community group, I'm not trying to lay a guilt on you. I'm just saying, man, you're missing a great opportunity to jump in and be equipped. Not just for your benefit, for the others in the group, but also so people can be praying for each other as they leave and go out into their community and are obedient to sharing the message that saved them. And so if I was to be so bold, which I will be, I would ask you, if community groups are not something that you think are important or a part of, what is your plan to learn to be and live as a disciple? Maybe you've got a better plan, okay. I hope so. Fourth and finally, God's gospel produces true converts slash disciples. God's gospel produces true converts, disciples. Now notice in this passage, the very first thing that the eunuch wants to do 
after he just came to faith. He wanted to be baptized, okay? Now, I realize many of you come from different backgrounds and, and have maybe had some different teachings on baptism. I, I just want you to capture a couple of things. First, this morning, for this eunuch to say, I want to be baptized, held a pretty high price. Matter of fact, uh, up till now, you see lots of persecution, people being arrested because they're Christians, some being put to death, right? And so for him to say, I want to be baptized, I publicly want to proclaim, I am Jesus's, I'm going to follow him, my life is now devoted to him, meant that all those in his entourage would have known. I, it's possible, I don't know, I'm reading into it a little. Maybe you got back if, if some in that entourage said, you know what happened to this guy? He's a Christ follower now. You can't have him in charge of your treasury. You know what he's going to do to our country? All that was at stake. And the first thing he wants to do is in front of everybody, I want people to know I'm Jesus. I'm following him. He wanted to affirm his new identity as a child of God and proclaim to everyone present his faith. The other thing I want you to notice is the very end of verse 39. This new convert goes on his way and uh, his attitude is rejoicing. There's an inner peace, an inner peace that he now has because he's been reconciled, redeemed, and restored to God. Doesn't mean life's gonna be easy. Joy doesn't mean an easy life. Joy means an internal peace, a tranquility, an assuredness. And then I love what happens to Philip next. Oh, okay, we're gonna send you up the coast and just keep preaching. Kind of amazing. In this very short story, what God's doing, isn't it? God is an intentional God. Don't miss it, folks. He is intentional about taking his message to our world. And if you're a follower of his this morning, he has given you a pretty simple message. If you're a follower, what saved you, you're supposed to just share with somebody else. Right? Simply. What saved you, and if it's Christ, share it with those who don't know. So the question for us and for substance is, will we? Will we do it? I mean, the first step's just being available. It'll start, I promise you, probably for most of us, Tomorrow morning we'll be in a place, in a situation, and this will come to mind and it'll be a little scary and weird. Am I gonna, am I gonna do it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for reminding us you are a God, a mission that you have sent into the world is your mission. And so you are intentional. And you desire 
to use your people to carry your message to other people so that they might hear of Christ and the good news that we can be restored to you and all that done for your glory. There may be some this morning here that for the first time connected the dots. Maybe there are some here this morning who thought, I, I guess I always thought church was for me, that give me the things I want. It was just kind of this time to get together as a group and sing and then we go on our way. Maybe there's some this morning who just simply need encouraged that, yes, I, I want to do this. And so it's a re, renewing of saying, I, I want to be used by you, God. I, I don't know who you're speaking to or how you're speaking to them, but I pray for them now and ask that, Lord, they would have the ears to hear and courage to follow just like Philip. And so I pray that for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen.